Great. Hey, everyone. How are you doing? Nice to see you. Um, yeah. Well, yes, me and uh, Chris and uh, Lyra were having a chat, and our conversation got on to the whole important thing of importance of uh, having a missional culture in church. But it, w- it wasn't an isolated conversation. Everywhere I'm going, I'm seeing the need for this. And we shared it, didn't we, with our New Wine Cymru core team. These are key leaders from across Wales, different denominations, probably the most, amongst the most senior leaders in, in Wales. And when we talked about this at the core team, there was an energy that came in. Through, oh, my goodness, God wants us to do something here. About seeing the church develop a missional culture. Uh, because generally, we don't have that at the moment. We do mission from time to time. The difference between doing mission from time to time and and having a culture where it becomes instinctive. And it's not something we do, it comes out of something who we are. And it's not something that we're frightened about. It's something, there is no. So we have a a missional culture in our church in Cornerstone. And uh, it's highly invitational. Uh, We've just baptized six people on Sunday, which is great. all of them around about the age of 20, every single one of them knew Christians. Everyone. Everyone. Nearly all of them from unchurched backgrounds. They uh, all said they'd been invited to something because their friends don't have any fear to invite, or their new friends. No fear to invite. Because when you have a cultural mission, it's, it, you, there's no fear in it. And so they invited, and some got invited straight to an Alpha course and ended up in the church and stayed, and became disciples, and now they're expressing that through baptism. And some just were invited to church and then ended up on Alpha, <laughs> or something else, or an Imagine Heaven course, or whatever it was. But all six of them became, uh, were Christians and baptized. And that's basically mostly how our church grows. Uh, we've been going 30 years now as a church, and we see, we see people come to Christ regularly. Um, not all of them stick. But many of them do. So I want to talk about, um, but that's the nature of the sower and the seed. So I want to talk about missional church. Two aspects. Uh, The other thing I want to talk about is this. Um, Chris is right. Uh, The harvest is white now. I have been, God called me 40 years ago into ministry. I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I was 19, nearly 20. That tells you how old I am. <laughs> oh dear, shouldn't have given that way, should I? Uh, Forty years ago, when I started in ministry, I did door-to-door work, and all the doors were shut in my face. The best conversation I can remember doing door-to-door work in those early days was with a backslidden Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> I didn't get very far with that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So then I switched to street work, and I, would street, I was a part of open-air campaigners. Does anybody know open-air campaigners? Yeah, so I do open-air and all this, you know, the magic and the, the painting and crowds back in the 80s. So I have done, I have done, I've shared my, I, I share my faith regularly. I, I, it's what I do. We have built a missional church. Sarah and myself met on a mission. That's my wife, by the way. Not my girlfriend. Uh, that's fine. We met on a mission. We've done mission. 
in our early years of ministry, we used to go around the UK doing mission for churches and helping them do mission. That's what we did. Forty years later, I have never, ever, ever in all of my years of ministry been in such a season of openness to Jesus, to searching spirituality, to the gospel. When I started ministry, even up till the 90s and beyond, you'd be in a party or something or in a networking or in a council event and they say, oh, what do you do? Or on holiday, you know what it's like. You meet friends on holiday and you know it's coming. <laughs> the big question after that, you've been making great friends for all the week. And they go, well, what do you do? And they go, oh, lovely. <laughs> well, it's bedtime. <laughs> and suddenly they drop you like a ton of bricks. Not anymore. Not anymore. People don't lean away. They step in time and time again. doesn't matter. Young people all over the place. I could, I've made a, a point of going down the gym regularly. Yeah, okay. Don't get it. You know. So this is what I do. I make friends down there. And I, I, pray, I, I pray for the guys there. Now these are, some of them are just like... Regular people like me, you know, <laughs> and some of them are like tattoos, and oh, you know, I don't want to meet you on a dark night. And sometimes I see because everybody down the gym at some point is carrying an injury, <laughs> don't you know, because you strain something. So I got to them because they know me, we're building friends. Like, what, oh, you're limping now. Oh, yes, my knee is a bit of a squat. I say, Well, you know, you know what I do, don't you? And we'll be, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the church, well, in our church, we pray for people and they often get healed. Can I pray for you? They, I've never, ever, ever, ever said anybody say no. Never. Never, not once. Oh, 20 years ago, I would have had an argument, <laughs> believe me, on my honeymoon. I had a terrible argument, not with my wife, <laughs> with some friends that we made. And they said to me, well, what are you... Because we were in Mallorca, we had a holiday in Mallorca, honeymoon. And suddenly they started having a go at me, because if I'm a min in ministry or a pastor, or if there was a vicar... And there's poor people in the world. What am I doing on holiday? Just had a go at me. I mean, that's, people had anger towards us. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. People's hearts are open. Yes, will you pray for me? I remember praying for one fella, Mike, in his 60s, late 60s, more 60s than me. Uh, recovering from bowel cancer and that's why he was getting to the gym because he, he you know, wanted to stay fit and strong but all down his leg here all numb because of the chemo he started telling me this, good people do, they chat so I said, I know this sounds strange Mike, but you know what I do don't you? <laughs> yeah, well in our church we pray for people, can I pray for you that you won't feel numb? So I prayed for him and sometimes I ask her how it is and sometimes I don't it all depends, You've got to, you don't know you don't be too, you've got to be wise with people. So just, I just left him, and I go back to my bench, and I'm looking at him in the corner, and he goes down, he's fiddling with his... Oh, first of all, the first thing he said to me after praying, he goes, oh, that was really moving. Really moving. And then I'm watching him out of the corner of my eye, and he's fiddling with his bag, and he's, get, he's getting these tissues. He's crying. 
God's touched him so much. He's in the gym. He, he can't stop crying. Ten minutes later, I'm looking over. <laughs> you know, he's crying. He just cries his way through the whole session because he's touched by God. I, there's another thing like no, he, He's 68. 25-year-old Marcus works in the gym. He does build it for a bit of friendship. Are you doing, Marcus? Can you help with this? Can you? Anyway, I was like, hey, Marcus. So I said to myself, this is about the intentionality. I'm going to get to where I want to go in a minute, right? This is the introduction, by the way, just to get, feed the appetite. I, I'm on the gym. I remember sitting down on this bench, you know, sitting there. And I think, surely, Lord, you've got a message for Marcus. Give me something to say to Marcus, just like I would pray for somebody in church. And I just get this sense that what he was like in school and what he was like with his mates, now he kept getting into trouble, and he didn't realize what he was doing wrong. And anyway, so I, so I went up to him and said, hey, Marcus, do you know, you know what I do, don't you? <laughs> well, you know, I pray you know, I'm a Christian, and I pray for my friends, and you're my friends, so I often pray for you, Marcus. And sometimes when I pray for my friends, it's, it's not weird. This isn't weird evangelism, is it? This is just natural. So you know, often when I pray for my friends, because, I mean, you know, it's a relationship with God, sometimes I get a sense that God's like, got a message for them to encourage them. And as I was praying for you, I felt God tell me something to share with you, to encourage you. Would you like me to tell you what it is, asking for permission? Oh, yes, please. Anyway, I share this message about his life, blah, 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 and I tell about certain gifts and talents I think he's got and how God wants to use those gifts and what, he, what he's experiencing now. There's more to life than that, and God wants to... And he goes, oh, Julian, that's made my day. And you think, and then do you know what happened? COVID happened. I didn't see him for blinking ages because of COVID. That's Hebrew for a very long time, by the way. <laughs> you know that, don't you? Yeah, in, you can look it up in the concordance. Anyway, so I didn't see him for ages. Because, so then I'm down the gym after COVID, and I'm at, at this machine. Who comes up to me? Marcus. Hey, just the man I want to see. He says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, go ahead. He says, well... I've been praying. <laughs> yeah? I've been praying. And I said, what do you want, Mark? What have you been praying about? He said, well, can I ask you this question? If I stop praying, will God stop listening to me? Do I have to keep praying for him to keep listening and answer my prayer? That's a very good question, I thought. So I said to him, Marcus, can I be brutally honest with you? Now, this boy now, he's 27, you know, from 25, he's 27, 28 now, he's, now COVID's happened. So back to COVID. I said, can I be brutally honest? I mean, really honest with you. Yes, yeah. I said, well, Marcus, the thing is, the Bible talks a lot about prayer. And the Bible says that because we've sinned, and I've sinned and you've sinned, he doesn't hear us. The problem is, your sin and my sin separates us from God so he doesn't hear us. That's the problem. But Jesus came to take the 
to bridge the gap for our sins. And I shared the gospel with him. And I said, so Marcus, I'm going to ask you something. Do you want to turn away from your sins, receive Jesus like I've been talking about, and be forgiven, and get right with God, and follow his plan for your life? And if you do that, there will be no separation, so you won't have to keep praying every time, all the time, thinking, if I don't pray enough, you won't hear me, because you're in relationship with him, and here's, even, here's the thoughts that you think, and the prayers that you pray, and the words that you whisper. So, would you like to do that? He said, yes. So, there in the gym, I led him to Christ. Yeah. From a 68-year-old to a 28-year-old, or whatever it was. Open. And everywhere I'm going, and everybody I speak to who is engaging in a lifestyle or in a culture, personally, and are churches that are engaging culturally, uh, uh, as a culture in a mission, are saying the same thing. Right now, God has opened the hearts of people through, through all that we've been experiencing. So now is the time for us to become missional church. Now here's the problem. It's a sad thing I should say that. Now is the time for us to become missional church. Because we should never have not been a missional church. Thank you very much. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, thank you. We should never have not been a missional church. Missional, miss, being missional as a church should have been in the foundations and the DNA of us as, as the community of God's people for the last hundred years, centuries from the very beginning. The New Testament was a missional church. Christopher Wright He's a theologian. He, uh, he's the minister at uh, All Souls Langham Place, took over from John Stott. No, John Stott? Great theologian. Well, now, I mean, that is a church that just throws out brilliant theologians. He says, uh, not chucks them out like we don't like you, but, but raises them up. So, uh, Christopher Wright says this in his book, The Mission of God's People. God has a church for his mission, not a mission for his church. Now, that is a very, very profound statement. So, mission, it says, just, oh, you're my church, and I've got a little job for you to do. No. I've got a mission, so I've created a church for it. It's a difference. Now, that's why we're here. God created and formed the church for his mission. It's the same reason why, miraculously... The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary. How God supernaturally created a human being who is created, but is also God who is not created. Now, that's a mystery for you, isn't it? Isn't that a mystery? But that's the nature of it, isn't it? Jesus became flesh and blood, a human being, but he's also God. So why did God, the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, conceive Jesus Christ, fully man, who happens to be God. Why? He did it for a, for a mission. He didn't create his son. This is important now. This is really important about who we are as church and our identity. He didn't create his son and said, oh, now I've created you. I've got a mission for you. He didn't do that. 
He created Jesus for a mission. He sent him from heaven for a mission. Am I communicating? Yeah? So Jesus is the sent one from heaven. The word sent is where we get the word apostle from. Jesus is the pioneer or the first, or some say the author, of our salvation and our faith. And God sent Jesus. He created Jesus for a mission in his humanity now, not in his divinity. Sent Je- and sent him. Why did he send him? He says, the Son of Man has been apostolos, sent. What to do? Save and to seek the lost. He sent on a mission. Um, okay. So what's the purpose of church then? Who is the ch- what is the church? What's the church? I won't, I won't mess with you. I'll answer the question. Rhetorical question. It says, we're his body, aren't we? What, does the bod- what is the function of the body? To do what the head says. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> to do what the head says, isn't it? Every function of the body comes from the brain, from the head. Oh, I'm really thirsty, my head. And so my head says, go and pick this up. Fuel it. If the body doesn't listen to the head, there's, there's not alignment. Okay, Jesus is the head of the church. Why was he created? God sent his son to sit into the world. Whosoever believe in him would not perish, but have everything. He sent him. That's the mission. He sent him. He created and sent him. He didn't create him and then say, oh, by the way, I've got a job for you. He sent him. He created him for a mission. That's the only reason why Christ became a man. Why on earth would Jesus, the Logos, the living God of heaven, ever consent to become a man if there wasn't he created him for a purpose, and we're his body. And we're an extension of his purpose. We're to work out his purpose. And now Jesus has gone up to heaven. Woohoo! And his body is on earth to finish what he started. Isn't it, isn't it amazing in the book of Acts? By the way, this isn't in my notes. I'm getting carried away. But unless we get a conviction about this theologically and biblically, we're not going to do it. It's not, I, I, I've learned this. You might want souls to come to Christ. You may want to see your nation saved. But unless there is something in your spirit where you're convicted that this is God, 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 and it possesses you, you will not do it. Because only that will overcome your fear. Only that will cause you to lay your life down. Only that will say, actually, let's do it a different way. And if it's not the way I like or want or used to, stuff it. That's also Hebrew. For it doesn't really matter. Am I communicating? Because it's only that conviction, that faith, that gives you the guts and the courage to step out and be fearless and lay your life down, do whatever it takes. That's what was in the disciples, and Jesus had to put it there. Now, back to the point. 
Luke, interesting man, Luke. In his second book, the book of Acts, he starts by saying, in my first book, Philopolis, which means lover of God, in my first book, I gave a careful account of all the things that Jesus began to do. He didn't finish it. He began to do it. Jesus didn't finish the mission of God. He kicked it off. And then when he was talking to his disciples in the upper room, I'm going up now because we're in the upper room. Got the picture? In the upper room. He says, wait in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The one just like me. The one who will represent me. The one who will take my place to, I've been with you, but I'm going to go away. And so the Holy Spirit can be with you all just like I've been with you. And not just you, but all the disciples to the end of the age until I return. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes. You will be my witnesses where? In the meeting. <laughs> no. <laughs> Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now we think the Holy Spirit has come to give, <laughs> to give us goosebumps on the back of our neck, and there's a lovely time of fellowship and a beautiful time of worship. And yes, He helps us with all of that, and He helps us pray, and He does. But Jesus' last words when it comes down to the work of the Holy Spirit, was you will receive power when the Spirit of God... And the result of it is that you will be a missional people. A missional people. Why? Because Jesus was a missional man. Why? Because he was incarnated through the power of the Holy Spirit. That means made flesh by a missional God. Am I communicating? If we don't get this, we will never do it. So to be this body is to be connected with Jesus and his mission. Now, let's push it a bit further. The first thing that Jesus did, what did he do? After he came roaring out of the wilderness and says, change your mind because the kingdom of God is at hand, he got 12 human beings, fractured and flawed and broken and helpless and sinful and messed up and fearful, just like you and me. He got 12 of them. And they were said, follow me, and we call them the disciples. And we think, oh yes, Jesus has sent us into the world. Just like we're going to be disciples, following Jesus. Yes, that's what we're going to do, make disciples, following Jesus. He says he took his disciples and he brought them to himself and then he designated them apostles. He turned the disciples into apostles, sent ones. Yes. So Jesus was an apostle, a sent one. He took 12 disciples, he made them apostles. Why? Why did he turn these followers of Christ who were learning to be like Christ, learning to live out his lifestyle, learning to understand his message, learning to understand the ways of the kingdom, learning to be in relationship with Jesus? Why did he designate them apostles? So that just like Jesus reproduced himself in 12 sent ones, they would reproduce themselves through multiple sent ones called the church. Am I communicating? 
It's all about reproduction. We can only reproduce who we are. I mean, I've just, I'm, I've just become a granddaddy. Yeah? I've just become a granddaddy. I gave birth, my son, I gave, my wife gave birth to me. I produce, we, oops, we produce Matthew, and Matthew produce with precious another who, who they are, a human being. We produce who we are. Great, isn't it? So, Jesus took 12 designated disciples. Then he, kept, then he got 72 disciples. 72. That's good, isn't it? So it's not just the 12. Oh, no, they're special. It doesn't include me. What a relief. I don't have to go. <laughs> I don't have to do it. No, he got 72. And after the 72, who weren't the 12, 72 represents the nations of the world because in Genesis, when they were divided, it represents the nations of the world. One for every nation. And then he said, it says in the Bible, all power and authority on earth has been given to me, and he sent them, apostled them, sent them. Oh, gosh, it's not, oh, dear, I can't get out of this. So can you see what's happening here? This sent DNA, this apostolic DNA, what it is to be apostolic church, and we are an apostolic church, we even say it in the creed, I believe in the holy apostolic church. It's more than learning about the doctrines. We are apostolic, we are sent. So Jesus has these disciples. And the other thing about disciples, how they were disciples, so they became with him. Do you notice that he didn't disciple these disciples? It means apprentice learners. We're all learners here. It's very important, this. very important. If you're going to be a missionary, you've got to understand the why. Or we get distracted by all the uh, distracting things. Good things, but distracting. Not the main thing. And we drop the main thing. Do you notice the thing about the disciples? Their model of discipleship wasn't like I'm teaching you now, although I'm sure Jesus had a lot of sit-down times with them. It wasn't in a classroom. It wasn't in a Bible college. It wasn't. It was on... It, first of all, it was him. They were connected to him, relationship with Jesus. Certainly they were connected to each other. They had a gang. There was a gang of them, so they're in community. So we're all Jesus, and we're together. That's like us, isn't it? It's a prototype of church. But you notice the primary model of discipleship was not like a Victorian school in rows. Oh, we're on rows here. It's on a mission. He says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men on a mission. And they, they like, it says they left everything, and they followed Jesus all around on mission. Learning how to preach, learning how to heal the sick, learning how to share the faith, learning how to do miracles, even walking on water, even feeding 5,000 with a loaf of bread, learning how to rely on God for their finances for the sake of the mission. Learning how to put up with criticism, misunderstanding, learning how to be brave. Really brave. Oh, you must be joking, Jesus. You're not going to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. And Thomas goes, okay, we'll go with you. We'll all die as well. Come on, man up. Fearless. Bold as a lion. I send you out like wolves amongst lambs. Oh, do I really want to hear that? Learning how to, on a mission. On a mission with Jesus. Learning how to do it. Discipleship with Jesus in community 
on a mission. What does that produce? Sent ones that change the world. That's the church. That's who you're called to be. Do you want to be that type of people? Yeah. Or would you rather Bible studies? Endless worship meetings. Now, don't miss me wrong. Don't, don't misread me. The church learned the apostles' doctrine. They had Bible studies or New Testament studies. <laughs> they never had the New Testament. They had to make it up. Seriously. <laughs> and it happened to, they happened to be right. <laughs> and it ended up being, and it was Scripture. But they didn't start off like that. So they did that, and they had fellowship, and they worshipped a lot. But that wasn't their fundamental focus, their outlook. That wasn't, that wasn't why they were together. They were together primarily as sent ones that did worship, sent ones that engaged with Scripture, sent ones that fellowshiped and loved one another, sent ones that broke bread, sent ones that served one another. Do you see, there were sent ones that did this, but they were sent ones first. Okay. And Jesus says, as the Father sends me, so I send you. So the apostol- so Jesus' DNA, I'm going to use this, so Jesus' DNA was put into the disciples and the 72, and they put that into the early foundations of the early New Testament church. It says that New Testament the church is founded on the apostles and the prophets. What does that mean? Does it basically mean that they physically went on and did it? Yes, they did it, but no, it's about their ministries, what they're putting into the foundations of the church. This kingdom sent mission. And it's passed on to us to put those foundations in. That's why I mean, so it's founded. And it says also in Corinthians, the book of Corinthians, Paul says some really things that make people go, uh, uh, that's being twitchy, they don't, I don't like this. Uh, is this okay, Chris? Am I being too animated? Yeah. If my wife was here, she'd pray, come down, Jim. <laughs> no, she wouldn't. <laughs> she'd have me at home. No, I'd <laughs> um, Paul says this. God has appointed first in the church apostles, prophets, teachers, third. Interesting, isn't it? Miracle workers, <laughs> speakers in tongues. First apostles. What does that mean? It's not talking about hierarchy or personality. It's talking about function. The first thing that needs to be put into the DNA of the church is that we are sent. We are missional. We're not here for ourselves. God has a church for his mission, not a church that does mission. So that's why the apostolic comes first. It's not about... People have rejected the apostolic. So are you telling me that the apostles are the ones in charge? No, they're not in charge. They've just got, they've got a deposit into the life of the church. The fundamental reason of being, the reason why God sent Christ, the reason why Christ came, the whole deal from heaven that God has a mission to reclaim this creation back to him, and it starts with human beings. Now, I'm glad I got a yes. Okay. So, 
the DNA, the apostolic DNA needs to be in the foundation of church. So the church is to be missional in nature and culture. What does it mean? Outward looking first. Outward looking first. And we're a far, 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 far cry generally in the West from that. There are churches in other parts, India, for example. <laughs> you know, I was doing a Zoom with Indian leaders not so long ago. My goodness, what they're doing is humbling. But um, as generally in the West, it's that we're a far cry from that. Why is that? Why are we a far cry from this amazing New Testament church that we love and read in the Scriptures? Well, uh, I'm going to give you a brief history lesson in about hopefully less than five sentences. Constantine, Roman Empire, got converted. Spuriously, but he did get converted of some sort. That's when he handed all over the temples and the idol worship temples and uh, over to Christianity, and he made, by command, the Roman Empire Christian. I mean, you can't really do that, but that's how it does. And then at that point, uh, all the Christians met in buildings. And the priesthood of all of the temples and the idols and the you know, gods of Rome and all that type of palaver, uh, in a nutshell, they uh, became Christian ministers. <laughs> and so that's where we get a high emphasis upon the priesthood and the laity. You know, it says, it says God intended his people to become a kingdom of priests, and we became a, king, we became a people with priests. <laughs> you know? um, and so, so that's how it all went into the... Um, buildings and the priesthood, and when you consider now, by command, all the world as Christian, you don't have to evangelize, you don't have to reach out, all you have to do is shepherd and teach. So what has happened, what happened over the years is that the church became a pastor-teacher model, not an apostolic missional model, pastor-teacher model. Mm-hmm. How many apostles do you know? No, they're actually called apostles. Like Paul said, I, the apostle Paul, I, the apostle Chris, I, the apostle... How many? How many pastors do you know? How many people in full-time ministry... Full-time called me. I'm called of God in ministry. I'm just an example because leaders put the DNA in. Right. How many leaders do you know called into full-time ministry who say, do you know what? My job is to mobilize the church into mission and be an example of mission and do mission until the day Jesus Christ, I will die doing it. Or how many pastors do you know say, actually, my week mostly contains on, mostly involves in um, pastoring my sheep, visiting people, doing weddings, funerals, counselling, Bible studies, and sermon prep for Sunday. Well, I know the answer to that. Because my job is, is, is to meet with leaders and help them become missional. <laughs> and most of them do the former. Very, very few you will hear. Spend time. Actually, the, the thing is, We've got to get, make this church missional and teach and disciple yeah? and do all the other bit. 
but, but we have to be outward looking on the forefront. And so what's happened is that we developed a pastor-teacher model, and that's why every single ministry in the church is called pastor. And the primary thing about church really is teaching and pastoring, or maybe worshiping or singing which is an act of worship. And, and what, what has happened, when, Christ, when, when the Roman Catholic Church was dominant, the focus wasn't on the teaching, it was on the Eucharist, the communion, which is an act of worship. So it went from communion to the pulpit. So if you're a Reformed church, uh, or evangelical, uh, basically we've, we've come from the Reformed, the evangelical Protestant church, the whole thing lives up to worship and then the pulpit. Where if you're a Catholic church, it's worship and then the communion. But basically, it's a pastor-teacher or Eucharist model. Am I communicating? We've inherited that. Okay, now that's, and we've got this for hundreds of years because we think we'd be living Christian. However, if you are a missionary and you're not in a Christian context... You can't survive that way. You have to do mission or go home. It's called contextualization. You have to mission or go home. The vast majority, I mean, way up, it used to be 2% of the population of England and Wales in the UK weren't born again. Do you know it's gone up? It's actually 6% um, are born again now. Isn't that great in the last 10 years? Isn't that great? Doing our job, eh? Come on. <laughs> Changing the culture. It's now 6%. I'll take that. But it's only 6%. So 94. <laughs> I was never good at math. 94%. I thank you that you are. 94% of our nation are not born again. They might, many might call themselves Christian, but they're not born again, not obedient to Christ through living faith. And the problem with having a pastor-teacher model is this. We sowed it and grained it into the culture. That's our culture now. This is what we look for. We're not looking for mission. This is what we're looking for. We don't grow our churches generally by winning lost people. That's the first thing, because we're not missional. So you say, oh, how big's your church? Do you know we've grown from 20 to 60? Woohoo! How many of those are brand new Christians? Oh, no, no, they're, you know, people who've joined our church because they like me or they like our style. Well, that's not advancing the kingdom. Let's keep, this can be deceiving, all of this. Some big churches, well, most big churches, you know, it's transfer growth. Now, I, in one sense, I don't have a problem with the churches that have the transfer growth. Let me explain why. Because sheep go where the grass is greener. And if your worship's great and your teaching's hitting the mark and it's great for the kids and you're growing and being blessed, well, people are going to... Well, you can't blame them for that. Can you? In one sense. But let's not deceive ourselves that we are being fruitful. We might be successful in the eyes of one another, but it doesn't, it's not kingdom fruit. Because kingdom fruit is winning people to Christ, discipling them, making them apostles, and then multiplying themselves. Okay, you're listening very well, and you're being very kind to me, because I am being a bit hard on you. 
Although I'm not hard on you, because I can read your hearts, and I know you're hungry for this thing. So I'm, I'm not hard on you. I'm not feeling any, any hard, you know. But you have to give me a lot of slack here to really, you know, express my heart. So here's the thing. What people look for, because we've sown a, 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 an unhelpful culture, is that people look for a church on the fellowship. Oh, well, I have friends here. Lovely fellowship. They're, very, you know, lovely. Uh, teaching. Oh, is the teaching good? They want to say, will I get cared for here? Will, will, I get, will I get cared for here? Will I be pastored? Is this a good self-help course for me? You know, will I be pastored? Worship. Is the worship good here? Is this my style of worship? Do I like the worship? Can, you know, is, it, is it in the spirit? <laughs> is this, if your family, is it, is it going to help my kids? Well, in one sense, they're all legitimate. But it's all inward. It's all inward. And it leads to consumerism. And uh, it leads to uh, transfer growth, which I say can be deceptive, not in the sense of theologically deceptive. We can deceive ourselves to think we're actually doing a good job. But the measurement of good job is not how many people are in your... How big your church is if it's all transfer growth? You know, how many kids you've adopted? How many kids you've birthed? Okay. So, the teaching, worshipping, pastoring, stuff all happens in a missional church, but the focus... And the understanding of purpose and why we're on the planet and why we're together is connected to Jesus, the head, and the purpose of God. Uh, and therefore, it's outward-looking, mission first. And that's what Jesus was like. And when Jesus turned up, there was this pharisaical model that became inward-looking, where it was all about their identity, and they loved the Word too. And they spent time teaching it, and they had rabbinical schools, and they had worship in their synagogue, and they all got the scroll out, and they all discussed all the nuances of the word, and they rigorously applied it to themselves, and they had an identity where it was about joining us, you know, about growing, almost like transfer growth. And Jesus came along, he smashed it, he turned the, the inward focus outward in everything he did, in the way he taught, in the way he worshipped, and he created a new identity for people that was about the kingdom. And his focus was, and his teaching, and the goal of the law, the goal of the law, says Jesus, was not getting it right, but loving God and your neighbor. It's about others. That's the goal of the law. Oh, you, oh the young man comes up. Oh, what, I do to inter- what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, well, obey the commandments. I've done it all. He said, well, what's the greatest commandment? Love your neighbor and yourself. All the commandments. Love God, love God and love your, love your neighbor. So he turned it inside out and focused it on others. Okay, so here's some keys about being a missional church. Everything we say and do, everything we sing, 
Everything we teach, our approach, our demeanor, has to be accessible to the outsider, the unchurched, the uninitiative, and there's, there's masses of people who have been to church now, has to be accessible to the outsider and the insider. The outside, it's not, so this is what maturity, we talk about maturity, this is not maturity. Maturity is not polarization, where it's either or. Maturity is integration. Paul says, I can no longer call, call you mature to the Corinthian church since there are so many divisions amongst you. When we polarize and divide, that's a mark of our immaturity. Maturity is to be able to live with tension and integrate. The gospel, the way we live, our faith is full of tension. We want to divide, you know, get it all worked out. We have to learn to have to live with tension. So here's, a, here's the thing. Accessible to the insider and the outsider. We're so good at polarizing. Oh, no. I, we have this phrase. I'm not seeker-sensitive. I'm led by the Spirit. No, if we... If we, if we, if we Seeker-sensitive, we're watering it down. That's what people say. No, it's not right. Sorry, she's agreeing with me. <laughs> yeah. It's not right. I, yeah, sorry, I misunderstood you. You're agreeing with me. So, to be aware of the outsider and to fully preach the truth, be worshipping in spirit, is a tension we manage... And it's a wisdom and a leadership skill to integrate. Am I communicating? Right. So this is what it looks like. How we worship. One of the first things I had to learn, because I'm a charismatic and I love to worship and be in the presence of God, is to, we had to learn how to worship God, access the presence of God quickly, but we just could not go on for hours and hours and hours and hours if we wanted to invite our friends to church to fast-track them into faith. We couldn't do it. We would invite people to church. We would ask them, do you like the service? He says, well, I did like the service. But I, but I found the singing uncomfortable. When we shortened it, because they're not used to worshipping, they're not used to singing for that long, to words they don't understand, and a God they don't even believe in yet, for 40 minutes, when we shortened it, they would say this, I found the music really moving. I found the music really moving. So the first thing I have to work at is, is what are people experiencing and are they accessing and are what we're doing pushing them away, making them feel uncomfortable. I'm not being uncomfortable by challenged by the message and the Holy Spirit, but the stuff that we're doing. So we had to modify how we did worship. Now it does two things. It teaches your Christians, the congregation, to access the presence of God quickly. You see, this is what we are. We have Christian worship. Oh, I know it's going to go on for 40 minutes. I've got a bit of time to warm up, fiddle them out, chill, come late, because <laughs> I still have 20 minutes, and at the end of it, I'm there. 
It's no good for families. You've got young kids, it's a nightmare. No good for uh, to inviting your friends. And let me tell you this, you know that you could not invite the friend in the gym that you've just prayed for or your work colleague. You know you could not invite them because they would not be able to cope with standing up for that long. So we short this first thing, we had to shorten it to make it the worship, worship accessible. Now, having done this for year after year after year, we don't worship for a long time. Tw- 20 minutes would be max. But my goodness, the presence of God is awesome because we have learned to access the presence of God quickly. And people turn up on time because if they're late, they're going to miss it. Teaching. Sorry, Chris, your turn. Teaching. I've had to change my teaching style because I've had to teach in a manner and in a language and in a style that is, that is accessible for the unchurched. Now, if it's accessible for the unchurched, the church will understand it. But if I just speak to the congregation... The, the new Christian who's coming in for the first time or the guest will go, I just didn't understand that. And to be quite frankly, I felt uncomfortable because he was far too flamboyant. Now, I'm messing with you tonight, jumping all over the place. But if, <laughs> if, you brought, if a friend brought a non-Christian friend into our church and I did that on a Sunday morning, well, I, I'm reasonably animated, but I'm not like, you know. They, they think I'm bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. One of... These kids who were baptized in their 20s, do you know their parents turned up to our church weeks before they got baptized because they heard they'd become Christians? Come to check us out. We didn't even know. And one of the ladies said, one of the mothers said on Sunday morning to Sarah, oh yeah, I came a couple of weeks just to check it out. She says, you're all right. Yeah, it's fine. It's, great. it's fine. And she's not Christian. She's not Christian. But she felt really comfortable with her kid with her because we're making it accessible for the insight and they're coming to Christ. So it's how you teach and the language you use. Now let me interesting. Here's something, an interesting fact for you. This is this is not gonna bless you. The average reading age in the UK population is age, reading age, nine years old. Yes. And the Guardian, by the way, if you want to be more optimistic, has a reading age of 14. That's the Guardian. And the Sun, 8. Okay, here we go. What does that tell you about how we preach? The use of our language, the use of our terms, theological words, jargon. Not just theological words, but jargon. The people... Don't even have never even seen in print, never even heard, let alone hoping that they'll understand and track with, with it from beginning to end. So we've had to learn both in our preaching style, in the visuals that we put up, in the illustrations that we use, and in the language that we choose to keep it accessible. That I've had to rework, I've had to learn again how to preach in order to be a missional church. And all of our teachers and preachers had to. And the visuals that we use. And the illustrations. Now Paul, 
was really good at this because you think of the, you think of the illustrations he used, like the armor of God and running in a race. All of these were like Roman illustrations. They weren't Jewish illustrations. These were Gentile illustrations in a different world. But the Roman world and the colonies where he traveled understood clearly. Now, we say, oh, but they're scripture. Well, when... When Paul was preaching and teaching this, they were actually just really good illustrations from the contemporary world to to illustrate and make accessible divine mysteries and truth. He used ones from the law and things like that to to, to communicate. So we only only understood them to be Scripture aftermath. Now we say, oh, yes, we've got to use these biblical illustrations. No, no. Paul was drawing on the world to communicate divine truth. So how we use the world around us to communicate, oh, I get that, I get that, I get that. And then we go into Scripture and we unpack it in a language that they can understand. And if it's a difficult word, we explain it, we don't take it for granted. We have to recap, it's like... See, you know, when you watch these seasons on TV, previously, we kept them previously. Every time we do it seriously, previously, we explain it. Can't, don't take for granted people know who Abraham, no, you know. Some people come in, oh, my goodness, I've only just realized that King David was the same bloke who killed the giant. <laughs> well, because people have never been to church. They haven't heard the Sunday school stories. Relational. Building a cultural church, relational. We have to be relational. It's not just about the meeting. It's got to be personal. We're made in the image of God. God is relational. The most godly thing you can do is to be a relational person because God is relational. He's Trinitarian. The most godly thing you do isn't ministry. It's loving another person. Chris, the most godly thing you can do is to love another person. It's not even prayer. No, we do pray, and it's important. Yeah, it's really important. And we're invited and called into prayer. But the most godly thing you can do, the most godly thing I can do is to love you. Because God is love, and he's Trinitarian. Now, if you get that, man, you are just going to win people left, right, and center because I tell you what, that is the deepest need of a human being is to know that you're loved. And when they come into your church or they're invited or you connect with them or you're down the gym and you're making friends and they can feel it because it's so rare. It's so rare to be loved, really loved, really liked. Warts and all. I mean, I was down the gym the other day, and they know what I do, and this guy goes, effing, effing, effing. You know, and he's, oh, sorry. I said, don't forget about it. It's a lot worse, like, a lot worse things you could do, isn't it? There's a lot worse things you can do than an effing, effing, effing. Right? Oh, forget about it. They feel comfortable with you then. It's not compromising. Oh, you get to share your faith. You get to pray for them. When they get touched by the Holy Spirit, you'll be amazed what he does to transform a life and change a mouth. (laughs) 
To be relational is to be godlike. Hospital. What is it to be hospitable? Hospitable. Imagine you're having a guest round. Come for dinner. They come over, and you don't give it any thought about their experience that evening. They don't. They come in. Oh hi! You walk out. You close the door. You don't talk to them. You're in the kitchen making the food, and they're in the hallway. They don't even know what to do. They still got their coats on. You don't say, oh, come in, take your coat, have a drink, come on in. You're chatting to them, making them feel welcome. What you doing? You're talking to them, making them feel special. You say, hang on a minute, I've just got to go and do something. I'm just going to ch- you know, check the chips. <laughs> you know, I'll be back in a minute. They don't know where the toilet is. They're not invited to sit down. Don't explain what everything it doesn't give us any thought. Do you know that happens Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? Here's the key about being a missional church. From the moment somebody is on your, walks into your car park, if you have one, your, their experience from the very beginning to the time they leave is thought through. That it's accessible and they feel loved and they feel welcomed. Socializing. Plenty, plenty, plenty of gatherings and socializing. Not just for the purpose of in-house, but purpose of others. We had a curry night the other night. 42 men turned up. We had a lady night night in, in, in some wine bar down Wine Street. Oh, even more women turned up. On their turf, in their language. At a mezzanine night at our building then after that, an old stack of them turned up. I don't even know what mez is, but they liked it. Do you notice how much of Jesus' mission was around eating and socializing and parties? In very spurious places like tax collectors' homes and places where prostitutes would come up and <laughs> take their hair and wash their feet. And he was really chilled with it because he was missional and he loved. Now, in order to have an invitational culture, you've got to have a missional lifestyle, making friends. It's no good going up to somebody on the street, oh, do you want to come to my church? You think, are you weird? Why would I want to do that? If you're going to have an invitational culture, you've got to have friends because they trust you. So he said, I ain't going to make friends intentionally. But not just to win them to Christ, but to love them. Genuinely love them. And even if they never come to Christ, to bless them because you love them, to bless them, to cut the seed of the mustard, mustard seed. This is what we need to get in hearts. We sow a seed. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. goes into the ground, grows into the biggest bush in the garden, and all the birds of the air come and rest underneath its shade. They become beneficiaries of the kingdom. They might, they're not in the kingdom. They're not part of the root. But they are beneficiaries of it. Some will become in the kingdom. But we bless them because we love them. Doesn't God do that to us? It's called common grace. He calls the sun to shine on the righteous and rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Common grace. That's who we are. We are made in the image of God. We are 
God transfers, and we love them. Now, how can I love somebody if I haven't, if I haven't got any friends? Then we create time for it. And then we have things where people say, well, they like me, and they like you, but they just think, oh, I'm a really nice person. Or oh, they think, oh, Chris, you're a really nice person. And he happens to be a Christian. Really nice person just happens to be a Christian. But then when you invite them to something, whether it's a curry night or this or that or the other, or a church or an alpha, they meet a whole bunch of people just like you, and then the penny drops. Oh, my goodness. It's not Chris, Chris who's a nice guy who happens to be a Christian. These Christians are really cool people. <laughs> it starts to search. This is how all of our, nearly all of our people come to Christ this way. So baptism again, they were all invited by their friends and they met all the other people and all the testimonies were about Jesus changing their life, this church that blew them away because they could access it and they loved it, the experience of it, and the people that led them to the baptism and the discipleship process. Now here's the thing. And I, I am going to wrap this up, okay? Is that okay? Good time to wrap up? I can't tell you, see, because my watch has gone. <laughs> my kids bought me an Apple Watch for my birthday. <laughs> it's rubbish. No, it's really good, but it runs out of gas. Okay. If you want to be a missional church and have an invitational culture, it's very important, and you think about what is it's like for them, consistency is absolutely critical. You cannot have one public meeting that is not consistent with those cultural values and everything that cuts across it. You must not allow it. So somebody will say, oh, can we do this on a Sunday morning? No. Because this is a public meeting. We're inviting our friends. If we did that, we might never see them again and we hinder their journey. No. I've had people leave over that. Okay, that's fine. You're a Christian. I'm not worried about you. But if I let you do that, this is what I'll do. Not only if there's a non-Christian there, <clears throat> will it freak them out, but here's the thing. Every single Christian in the room will say, I don't know if it's safe bringing my non-Christian friend here who I've been really witnessing with and we're making progress because it might be just one of those mornings that it blows it out the water. Whether it's how you do ministry. Now, we've had to learn how to prophesy and how to heal the sick in a way that doesn't freak non-Christians out. So what we do now, we've learned how to do it, like in the gym and on the street and in the office. And we, we've adapted the, what works for non-Christians into our ministry style as a Sunday morning. Because the ministry style that works for Christians doesn't work for non-Christians. But if it works for non-Christians, it will work for Christians. <laughs> it's like this. If I teach and preach in a way that a non-Christian will get it and understand it, the Christian will understand it. But if I just preach in a way that a, non -Christ a Christian will get it, the non it, it doesn't translate for the Christian. Yeah? Unless they're in the know, and most aren't. The downside of that... Oh, gosh, I wish I had another hour to say all this, but I don't. The downside of that is that we have styles that we think are spiritual. So 
Okay, in my, we've had people leave, I tell you, I just be honest, we have had people leave in the church because they don't think our teaching is deep enough. Okay, can I just say, that's a load of nonsense. I'm, I'm theologically minded. Chloe, she's got a PhD in theology. She had the, fire, the highest first in theology in 20 years in her university. Matthew has a first and a master's in theology. There's, there is plenty of depth, but the language, it's around about between 9 and 14 years old, but the truth is the same, just the language. Am I communicating? And we have styles. We think, oh, we don't hear the right buzzwords. So here's the thing. I had somebody leave my church once, more than one, because they said, I don't preach repentance. Hmm. Now, the Greek word, the actual Greek word for repentance is change your mind. He's really on the money, this boy, isn't he? It's change your mind, which actually brings results in a change of behavior. So when Jesus says, repent because the kingdom of God is hand, he's saying, change your mind about your life, about it works, because there's a new rule, there's a new government, there's a new way, it's a hand. And if you change your mind, it will result in the way you live, and it's going to be brilliant. That's repent. I've just preached repentance. But I know if I use the word repentance, in all of the unchurched people there, they'll just think, old school, condemning, judgmental, hypocritical, bigoted, typical Christian, I'm out of here. But when I say, Jesus has changed your mind, he's always trying to change our minds. It's always good to learn, isn't it? And we know that as we allow God to change our minds about stuff, he'll change the way that we live, and we know that the way that we live determines the quality of our life. Now, I just preach repentance and the rule of God. But I've had people leave because the, the words, the style, because I'm not even preaching the original scriptures, which Mrs. Metamorpha, as the Greek... <laughs> I'm preaching a translation of it. And they're leaving over a translation that was, which, which is about 600 years old. <sighs> Am I communicating? So a lot of things that people take umbrage over are style. So we've had people leave our church because they don't think we're led by the Spirit in our worship. And what they mean by that, we don't sing a long time, we don't put our hands... Well, we do put our hands in the air. I haven't got a problem with that. But what I mean, we don't, we don't all fall over. And we're not all singing in tongues. I shouldn't have put that one out. <laughs> singing in tongues. Um, we do sing in tongues, but in a public meeting, we, we will explain it if it happens. Okay. But they don't, because we're just not a free-for-all, people leave because we're not led by the Spirit. Okay. Is that a style? It, you know, a certain style of engagement where we sing for half an hour, the Holy Spirit goes, then we go into a quiet bit and the music dulls. Mm, uh, yes, and then we, we get the band playing in the background and then we go into ministry and we ooh, say things softly and now just receive. And we use all those little formulas. It's just a style. St. David. 
who was a mighty spiritual man of God who brought Christianity to Wales and carpeted it with healing and the great and the Celtic saints, they wouldn't recognize the way we do modern charismatic Pentecostal church worship in a million years because they were contemplative. Their way they engaged with God was through silence. It says, go to your cell and let your cell teach you. In other words, in silence and meditation. And they commune with God. Not that they never pray, but they commune with God silently. It was the, the way they worship. And they engage, with, they engage with God that way. They might struggle to engage with God the way we do it. It's not their Because you learn habits of spiritual approach. I discovered this. I cancelled um, 10 years ago now. When I had radiotherapy, couldn't sing, could hardly talk, couldn't sing. So I had to learn how to engage with God in worship by not singing. And I did. It's a style. So people leave, you've got to be careful that we don't equate spirituality with style. Now I'm saying all that to say that as you're building a missional church, we have to adjust our styles and grow up to engage with God sometimes in a way that it's not what we're used to for the sake of lost people. But it's not watering down. It's not any less spiritual. So consistency is really, really important so that we develop a confidence to invite your friends. Now, I just say back at home, there's no question about this now in our congregation. People invite, 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 and they fast-track them to salvation. And they have conversations, you know, all that. It's happening all the time. But it's one of the greatest gifts we've been able to give our church members as a leader, leadership, because our church love their friends, and they love their neighbors, and they love their family. And so to be able to invite a church where it's safe for them to journey into Christ... It's one of the greatest gifts that we've been able to give. And this is the cost of uh, being a missional church. It's a cost to me personally because uh, I'd like to rip, I'd like to let it go. Uh, but it's a, we're a missional church, so that's our focus. And then, of course, in addition to that, we must have reaping tools about how we share the gospel and how we bring people to Christ. Um, and we need to do it in a manner that connects and will wins people, not uh, rejects and compels people. And that's a total difference because you compel them feel uncomfortable. But if you invite them, they have free will. And we need to be careful about, oh, please stand or put your hand up. And those are old models, you see. Now, they worked 50 years ago with Billy Graham. But people, they don't tend to work today because people are far more process-driven. They want to take time to work it out. They're, and they're in a different place. So often we will do, and I'm not saying you've got to do this, but this is an example. Often when we're making an appeal, we'll say, and maybe you would like to, if you haven't received Jesus and his forgiveness and taken that first step into a relationship with him and discovering all that he's made you for, well, maybe you'd like to do that today. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and I do it line by line, and you can join in with it. And, um, and then I pray the prayer, and I don't ask them to put their hand up. I say, if you've prayed that prayer... Uh, we've got some literature here. You can go on an alpha course. And we're pointing them into the direction that they need to take the first steps because they're grown-ups. You don't have to bully them. You don't have to trick them. You've just got to point them. And if God is at work and they're hungry for it, 
They'll pick up the literature, or they say, can I have that? Or they'll go online and look at the Alpha, or come on an Alpha Zoom. They'll do it. They will. So how we, how we reap is important. We have to rethink that in, in today's culture. What's, re, what's rejecting and what's accessible and winning. And plenty of reaping tools, alpha and events. And we need all the bo- leaders on board for this. And as I said, ruthlessly as a leadership, and I'm talking to you as leaders, ruthlessly, don't allow anything into your church that will seed a culture that undermines your missional culture. Okay, that's enough. I've spoken to you and you've listened so patiently and kindly. I know some of you will be challenged by that. Um, But that's okay. Uh, If I've spoken to... uh, Forcefully, I just ask you to forgive me. It's, it's, I'm not making. It's, I am passionate about it. I'm convicted about it, but I, but I don't want to be rude about it. And if I've come across in anything inappropriate, I just ask, ask your forgiveness, and you know, maybe you'll offer me some grace on it. Uh, but please, let me pray for you. Please, then. Okay. Why don't you close your eyes and I'm just going to... Holy Spirit, I just pray now that um, as Chris and this leadership body here, passionate, hungry people for you, process all that uh, we've been talking about tonight, that um, you'll first of all lift any sense of being overwhelmed. I just want to say this. It's like driving a car. Turn the engine, get in, switch on the lights, clutch, brake, gear. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. But in a few months, it's instinctive. This is how it works. So when you down, have a download of this time, it's going to overwhelm it. But don't worry about it. The seeds that are watered, and they will, you'll, you'll process it. So first of all, I pray they won't be overwhelmed. And I pray a deposit of a missional DNA, a missional seed into this church, because they are poised for it, absolutely poised. I, I just saw as I was praying for you, uh, two words of encouragement for you as a church, I saw a castle with the drawbridge going down. And uh, drawbridge goes down for people to go out and for people to come in. Out and in. So as you, as, the, as you begin to process this, and you don't have to take everything on board because I'm just giving illustrations of principles and some of the actual things that we do won't fit you, but it's the principle, the mind, which you need to consider. But as you process it, um, God is going to, it's going to cause the drawbridge to come down. And oh, this is really strange. I actually saw the drawbridge was made of brand new wood, like virgin wood. It was, you know, you know, like when you've got a new fence up in the garden, it's all like clean wood or a new panelling. Brand new wood, not an old drawbridge, a new drawbridge. And the Holy Spirit is going, to, is going to build into this church a new mechanisms for actually, as it were, 
reaching out to provide causeways and bridges for people of the church to go out and people to come in. And it's going to be new. Don't go, Chris. There's going to be old things, you know, in the kingdom of God that we use the old, but there's new things, there's new mechanisms that are unique to this church. And God is going to put a new drawbridge in. And I saw it coming down. And, it ha- and when it came down, it hit the ground. You could just see, oh, this is brand new wood. So begin to ask God, oh, Lord, show us a new way of moving out as a church and allowing people to come in as a church. New doors of coming in. New things. But you can do old things as well, but there's new things. And then secondly, I saw these, I don't know even what you call them, catapults they are, big, big catapults. They put these massive rocks in, they hurled them out, and they went way over, yeah? And I saw these things being hurled out of the thing, and what was being hurled out was people. Like being hurled out, people. And there's going to be a catapult of ministries and people right into enemy territory, right beyond the safe place, the fortified city, the safe place. It speaks to the church, and it's a catapult. And if any of that relates to you, and you think, oh, I'm hungry for that, Lord, I want to help build new bridges, and I want to be catapulted out. It's going to be scary. Woohoo! can you imagine flying through the air 100 miles an hour? It's going to be scary, but it's going to be worth it. And if that relates to you, as I pray for you, just, uh, I'm going to pray the spirit of this will just Im- embed itself into your heart. And I pray now, Lord, that what you've just prayed, uh, released prophetically, the spirit and the life and the energy and the faith will be released within your people here. And I pray even within a short period of time, we'll begin to see the manifestations and the outworkings of some of these things that you want to do. Uh, bless these people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, 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 wow. Just take a moment just to sit and just let it all settle in.